0: Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. And on today's uh, interview, we have a very special guest, Lisa, who's actually known as Girl About the Globe uh, from her website, girlabouttheglobe.com. Uh, she actually has an amazing uh, travel story. She's been to over 100 countries, and she does a lot of it solo, and she's very passionate about conscious, responsible uh, tourism. So, we're going to be covering uh, all those aspects about her life, about her travels, about her blog, about solo female travel, and, and about conscious tourism. Uh, so, Lisa, uh, why don't we get to know you a little bit better? I know you're from the UK, but based in uh, Spain right now. Why don't we hear a little bit more about your background?
1: Okay, so I'm Lisa. I'm 41. I've been traveling on and off since I was about 21. So, I've been working abroad, lived in different countries, worked on a cruise ship traveled extensively, got married for a small stint of that, maybe two years of that, and then just got back on the road and started traveling again. So I've, I've kind of been traveling on and off for about 20 years.
0: Um, yeah, amazing, amazing, you know, an amazing travel journey. Uh, what's remarkable is the fact you've been to over 100 countries so far and counting. I am currently at 68. Right. Uh, 68 countries on six continents, uh, and I, my goal is to visit them all. So I definitely get inspired uh, to meet other world travelers who've been to over 100. I call it the Century Club, so you've been to over 100. About uh, how you achieved that goal, uh, was there strategy there, or was it just, uh, okay, I'm traveling, and, oh, by the way, I've hit 100. So walk us through the strategy by which you hit so many countries.
1: Okay. When I was 36, I got to the age of 36, and I realized that I'd been to about 86 countries. So I thought, well, before I'm 40, I've got four years to go. I wanted to achieve something, because I normally set myself goals, and I like to achieve them. So I said, okay, before I'm 40, why not make it 100 countries before I'm 40? So that was the point where I actually got separated as well. So I took off and went back on the road, and when I started my blog, and then just did a little bit of slow travel visited I was kind of a bit strategic with the areas that I was visiting actually because I thought oh I haven't done all of Central America I haven't done a lot of the Caribbean so I would work out my route and the extra 14 countries that I needed to to get to my 100 countries before I'm 40 but the thing is when you actually when you start counting countries because before 86 obviously I wasn't really keeping count but you realize how many of them aren't actually countries. So how many of them are owned by France or by England? Or it's, so yeah, it makes it a bit difficult when you're trying to get to a new place each time.
0: Yeah, like uh, for example, a lot of people count Scotland and Ireland as countries, but they are part of the UK. A lot of people, maybe they'll count Hong Kong or Macau or Taiwan, they're part of China. Uh, a lot of people count, like, you know, those Caribbean countries you mentioned, Uh, A lot of them are actually part of France or England, so yeah, they don't actually technically count as countries, but they're territories, so yeah, good point there. Uh, I'm curious to know about some of your favorites, so do you have any favorite countries or regions that really uh, moved you or left a lasting place in your heart?
1: Yeah, in Asia, when I went to Cambodia, that was the first country that really touched my heart, I think, because they had the genocide with the Pol Pot. with that genocide in 1975, which was the year that I was born. So it felt quite poignant for me and it felt like really recent history. And um, I think it was one in three Cambodians actually died or some horrible statistic like that. But all of the Cambodians that I saw, they all seemed really happy and they really wanted to help you. And people were smiling and they just seemed really humble. And after their really dark past, it was just a bit of an eye-opener to, to how little you can have, but how happy you can have. So that was the one place that really touched me in Asia. Um, and then Colombia is one of my favorite places as well. I know that you're in Medellin at the moment, which is where I base myself for six months for every year for three years. Kind of a similar, a similar reason because Their past is, um, well, it used to be one of the most dangerous cities in the world, as as you probably know. But now it's really innovative and it's a fashion capital of Colombia. And the people just seem so proud of their city and it's as if they're trying to forget the past and just embrace the now. And so to me, when I visit a country, it's the people that really make the country special for me. You can have amazing landscape like places in, well, Bolivia's got amazing landscape and Iceland but for me it's a feel of the people there so definitely Colombia and definitely Cambodia but then I also really love Dubai which is not cultural at all and it's completely different but I think I like Dubai because it's just really fun it's full of 80 different cultures and whatever they want to build they just build it's just a crazy city.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to echo your sentiments. I absolutely love Colombia, and I'm a big advocate of uh, tourism to Colombia. I keep raving about how great it is, and they're not paying me. I'm not an ambassador. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, hired by the tourism board. But it really, it's moved me uh, because of, like you said, the story of the overcomers. Uh, you know, they've had a really tragic and, uh, you know, a painful past, but because of uh, their resiliency, uh, they've actually really flourished. And now it's such a big hotspot, especially for digital nomads. One of the biggest hotspots in the world, and especially uh, here in South America. Um, yeah, and I, I, I want to echo your sentiments about Dubai too. We were there earlier this year, and uh, it is amazing. Uh, you know, I've never seen a city that wants to be, have the biggest, the tallest, the grandest, the fastest, everything. Uh, so it really stands out amongst all the major world cities.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a crazy city, but it's one of those places that I've always wanted to visit. And then when I visited, I was just walking around in, in awe, just, wow, there's that, there's that. Yeah, amazing place.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, so Lisa, I'm curious to know about your backstory about the blog. Um, so tell us a little bit about the origin story. Uh, why did you start it? And tell us a little bit more about Girl, about the globe.
1: I started it when I got separated actually I was at a bit of a lost period in my life and I didn't really know what to do with my future so I thought well what I always used to do was just go off traveling because in my 20s I spent a lot of time traveling and working abroad moving around quite a lot so I thought okay I'm just going to go off traveling again and find myself that old cliche so I started the blog for my friends and family and at the time it was on a really really rubbish e-blogger site so it wasn't pretty or anything it was just full of my little tales of traveling and then I went to China and Mongolia and I was meant to go to Tibet and I had a problem with my visa two days before I was meant to go there and um because I at the time I thought I was quite an experienced solo traveler but I was having issues that I didn't know how to deal with and I was feeling really alone because of these visa issues and homesickness, and because of my situation, i just come out of a relationship. So I thought, well, wouldn't it be good to create a site, like a one-stop shop for women traveling alone that they can go to for help and advice if they're homesick, create a bit of a community for women so they can connect. So that's when I came up with the idea of having a static website, which was the one-stop shop for the solo female traveler. So that was created along with my blog, and then a few months later it merged to make it one site basically. So before, for about a year it was just an e-blogger site which was just stories of my travels and then I created a more factual site with destination guides, help and advice if things go wrong. Yes, in Mongolia I came up with the actual idea for the the proper site.
0: Awesome, so uh, one of the things you focus on is obviously solo female travel. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, any tips or advice you would give to someone who's maybe a female, a woman who's watching this, listening to this, and they want to get on the road, but they have all these fears uh, because, I mean, obviously, I think uh, there are a lot of fears with the female traveling alone. So walk us through uh, some of your tips and also how you deal with your own fears.
1: Okay. Um, well, the best thing I've done actually since, since I've been solo traveling is started a solo travel community. And since I actually started the blog, solo travel has just boomed, and so many women are doing it. But what I've noticed in the community is that there are a lot of girls who are they're scared about going alone, and they want to be reassured, and they want to hear from other women who have been to the same countries that they want to travel to, about how to do it, where to stay. So I would say for anybody who's feeling a little bit scared, um, it's really normal. It's normal to feel nervous and excited, but just book your ticket, just book the flight, so that you actually—that is it—you have to go, and then you'll start to get excited. You can start planning your trip. Try and connect with other women who have have travelled to the same place, or even because there's so many women travelling nowadays, you can connect with people that are actually going to the same place. So you could even meet somebody in that destination, just you know, just as a bit of a security blanket before you go. There's also sites like Couchsurfing um, and Conversation Exchange, where you can meet people for coffee. With Couchsurfing, you don't necessarily have to stay at their house, but you can just meet people for coffee. So then, it, for me, it always helps if I know at least one person in that country. So people can always find people like that. Um, something that I didn't realise until I was travelling through the Caribbean, actually, was that I didn't know any self-defence. So I would always say try and watch a few self defence videos, learn just a few self defence moves before you go. People probably won't need it, but it just gives you that confidence if if you're travelling alone. And always look confident, even if you're not confident. I think that's something that I've just that I just automatically do now. If I'm walking down the street and I'm lost, I just walk as if I know where I'm going, and then pull into a little shop and have a look at a map. But don't try not to stand out to obviously like a tourist or like you on your own so i touch wood i've never been mugged so um i think that's because i walk around looking quite confident or i've just been really lucky
0: yeah you know i definitely agree with that tip there i think um just you're kind of like faking it uh but at the same time just the way you walk your stance your posture um your certainty your boldness i think all that um, shows that you're almost like fitting in or you're expat there, and you don't uh, come across as a typical tourist with the camera, the map in the hand, looking confused, and they speak English really loudly. So yeah, definitely agree with there about fitting in with the locals and uh, definitely, um, you know, uh, just uh, putting on the part of being brave and confident. Um, right. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know about the financial side of your travels. Uh, you know, a lot of people have the objections I can't travel because I don't have enough money and I don't have enough time." And for you, you've solved that problem, uh, so tell us a little bit about how you handle the whole financial side of your travels.
1: I've, I've got a journalism degree, so at the beginning of my travels I was pitching to travel magazines, in-flight magazines, websites, and I was writing travel articles. Um, But that now is a very tough industry to get into, even with a journalism degree, because everybody wants to do it, that's your dream job. But that did fund me at the beginning. Nowadays, I'm really fortunate enough to make enough to pay my bills on my blog. And the bigger the audience you get with your blog, the more leverage you have for having free accommodation, discounts on tours. So my last trip, I was in Colombia and I left Colombia and went around South America. And I actually did it on a really low budget because I was able to pitch and get a lot of free accommodation, which is the, I think is the biggest cost. If you're traveling overland, which is really cheap generally, then apart from plane tickets, accommodation is generally the largest cost. So I was really lucky to get free accommodation. I've also done my TEFL course, which is teaching English in foreign language that is a really great way if people say that they can't afford to travel then I think that's a really great way of getting to a different country and earning money for teaching and then you can travel from there because I did that in Nepal I taught English for a month in a Buddhist nunnery but nowadays I'm really fortunate to be able to live off my blog before then I was doing the travel writing and there's so many jobs you can do actually and you don't even need to have money you can go on sites like Work X, no, work away or help X and um, do volunteering in exchange for accommodation and board. You can go and be an au pair. I've worked on a cruise ship. Um, you can do fruit picking. There's so many different ways. You don't need to save up thousands anymore. You just need enough to get there and then you can become sufficient when you're there. So Elisa, I'm curious to know about
0: your sponsor travel. Um, you know I actually do the same thing with my website called daddyblogger.com and I was actually much more successful in like Canada, US, uh, Asia, I even did it in South Africa. Um, but I find here in South America it's not as blogger friendly. Uh, I'm here in uh, Medellin, Colombia and I did get a sponsored stay uh, at a family room in a hostel but uh, typically I found it a little bit hard in South America. I got a few in Brazil, Uh, we did an Amazon trip at a discount through the blog and also some accommodation. Rio was complimentary. Uh, Tell us about how you found it in terms of blogging in South America, because I, I found it difficult, but I'd love to hear your experiences.
1: I think it depends on your niche, because I think I'm solo female travel, they're open to having more women staying in hostels or having tours with them. Maybe because you're coming from a family niche, that might not, for some people, that might not be the market that they're wanting to attract. So maybe, let's say if you try three hostels, then maybe try a different style of hostel or something. So it, it could be the niche, but the fact that I'm solo female travel really worked in my favour when I was travelling around the Caribbean, because I approached a lot of the tourist boards and said that the Caribbean is normally portrayed as honeymoon destination or families, and I really want to show what it's like for women travelling alone. And I had amazing response. And they were really open to that concept. And I managed to organize myself a few press trips. I think it depends, it really depends on the niche. And also, because I've now been blogging for four years, I've got a few awards, and I've got a bit of credibility behind me as well. And having a International Travel Writers Alliance press card, I think also helps. So it's building up your leverage, targeting the right people, I would say.
0: Um, How did you deal with the language side of things? Because I find uh, when I pitch here in South America, because obviously it's mostly Spanish with the exception of Brazil, Portuguese, and you know, the the Guyana is a little bit uh, French and Dutch and English, Uh, but um, how do you deal with the language side of things? Because a lot of travel bloggers, we write in English, and obviously we're targeting Spanish-speaking countries. Uh, Did you have any barriers there with the language in terms of pitching and sponsorships?
1: No, because I guess the companies I was pitching, I was pitching were ones who were written in English anyway. So because I think if they're trying to attract the American market, Canadian market, European market, then their sites are probably in English. So I didn't have to pitch anything in Spanish.
0: So I've been doing this wrong. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta read, readjust, readjust my marketing strategy so I can get more sponsorships because uh, we're here in Colombia and we're heading down to Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Chile. And uh, I've been actually quite puzzled. I've been thinking, okay, I'm here in Brazil and normally I can get stuff uh, quite easily and I'm not very successful. And then I was in the Guyanas again, not that good. Here in Colombia too, uh, not as. Uh, good as, like I mentioned, those other countries that are a little bit more blogger friendly. So uh, you definitely given me a lot of encouragement here uh, to, to start pitching more. And l- like you said, maybe it's the angle, the niche. Um, sometimes they're just not focused on the niche that you're uh, you know, um, targeting. So that's important adv- advice as well. Uh, I'm curious to know about uh, you know your ESL uh, side of things. Because um, as a digital nomad, that's a great way to generate income, uh, both uh, teaching English Offline in places like you mentioned, but also online. Uh, you know, we had a few interviews about VIP kids or uh, teaching, um, you know, tutoring and teaching online, and obviously great digital nomad gigs. Uh, tell us a little bit about your teaching experience. Where all have you done it, and what was the experience like?
1: I did it in Nepal. I did it through Volunteers Initiative Nepal. So I always like to do things a little bit different. So I actually got to stay in a nunnery and live with Buddhist nuns for a month. And there was one monk in my class and um, it was just such an amazing experience. I was so nervous before because I've never taught anything and I'm I'm happy behind a computer screen. That is where I feel really comfortable on a laptop. So to stand up in front of people was really scary, but I think it's good to do these things that bring you out of your comfort zone. And I I actually had to pay for that experience, but I wanted to do it just to build up my Teaching portfolio, and it was really cheap considering it was accommodation and food included as well. But it was just a really humble experience, and um, I ended up going away for the weekend with the monk, which probably sounds a bit weird. But we went off. <laughs> we went off for a weekend to Lumbini, which is where the, um, the Buddha, Lord Buddha, is meant to—that's his, his birthplace. So the monk wanted yeah. to go. Obviously, wanted to go, and I could hear him talking to people in the English that I'd taught him. It was really rewarding knowing that I'd helped, I was helping his vocabulary. And then the second place that I did it was in Colombia. So I stayed at an eco hostel in Amagar, which is 45 minutes away from Medellin. And it was, obviously there weren't nuns this time. So there were children from 12 to 15. And I just taught there for a couple of weeks as well. So that was a really different experience because they were all different levels. But I did realise then that my level of Spanish needed to be more to actually teach English in a Spanish country. But It's a really rewarding experience and I think it really gives you confidence if you've never done it before. There's so many countries you can do it in. Obviously there's places you do it in South America, the wages are obviously lower 600-700 pounds compared to China or South Korea. And then when you've been doing it a while, you can actually do it in places like Saudi Arabia, which is where the big money. is.
0: Yeah, definitely it depends on where you do it uh, in terms of the income for you as a teacher. I did it actually in Tokyo, Japan, and the uh, wages were quite good in Japan, and then I was able to save up and then travel Asia. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Middle East obviously pays uh, good as well, Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, uh, I had actually a guest on the show who teaches in Oman, so definitely to look that episode up if you're interested in teaching um, in Middle East, and uh, yeah, definitely online is another great way. Um, so Lisa, I looked at your website, and uh, I love your tagline. It's called Maximum Adventure and Minimum Impact. And I mean, obviously, as travelers, that's what we want to do. We want to travel for adventure, uh, but also we want to impact the place as little as possible in terms of a negative impact. We obviously want to have positive impact. Uh, but tell us about um, that side of your travel, the whole... Eco tourism, Responsible Tourism,
1: etc. When I first started, um, when I came up with the idea for the website, I really wanted to target a specific kind of person. And then I came across the term Conscious Travel, which wasn't that well known at the time. At the time, people had heard of Responsible Travel. But I wanted to encompass the whole umbrella of sustainable tourism, ecotourism, tourism. Um, dark tourism there's so many different branches of it now but basically I wanted to help people travel to a particular country I wanted to show the local issues within that country and not fluff it up with the 10 amazing things to do but say well this this can happen in the country so just be aware of that I wanted to show the culture in the country and I wanted to show local local independent accommodation and local tours that people could use to help put money back into the economy rather than go for the chain hotels and the big travel companies. Although I do endorse G Adventures because they're a sustainable travel company. So I kind of wanted to encompass everything and to make people aware that they can travel kind of open-minded and they're able, they can learn from a culture and not just whiz through and. What they can do, the steps they can do to help the economy as well.
0: So, uh, what what would you suggest uh, for people who want to get into uh, this whole area? I think it's kind of, um, I don't want to call it a trend or a fad, but it's definitely booming right now. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tell us about how, um, you know, solo travelers um, can actually make an impact positively on the communities they're visiting.
1: Okay. I always say to people that when you travel, or when you travel alone especially, you kind of become an ambassador for your country, even if you don't wanna be. If you're the only person they've ever met from Canada, and you go to this little remote village and you're the only person they've ever met from Canada, then the impression that you give to them is gonna last, and they might think all Canadians are like that. So it's just, it's about being polite, it's about respecting them, it's about learning about the culture before you travel so about the etiquette there's a website called culture crossing which is what i use which gives details of greetings between women and men um kind of the taboos what you should do and what you shouldn't do when you go to a country because especially in places like india you don't want to offend people by doing the incorrect gesture and you also as a woman traveling alone you also need to be quite safety conscious and not be too over friendly or give off the wrong vibes um you know by doing something that you you think is okay in your country so it's understanding exactly how the culture is it's trying not to buy from chain stores or massive supermarkets if you can so just trying to help the local people try and stay in homestays then you can learn more about the culture. And then it's more of a culture exchange as well. Um, It's just being being aware, really, just what what you buy, where you stay, and how you come across to the the locals. Oh, and also, I'm also an ambassador of visit.org, which is a social impact platform. So they have different tour experiences that you can do in countries which educate you about the culture. So for example, in um, Buenos Aires, I did a tango lesson, but the money that I paid for a tango lesson went to help disabled kids in Buenos Aires. Um, So there's projects like that. So you're, because you're obviously gonna do touristy things when you travel, but at least then the money from the touristy things can help the local community. But still doing the same things, but tweaking it and funneling it to make sure people are benefiting from it.
0: Yeah, some great tips. I I love all those ideas about, you know, staying local and impacting and, uh, uh, you know, even like things like volunteering and giving back uh, definitely all help out and make a a positive difference during our travels, which we all need to do. And I love the idea of, uh, you know, as we're traveling, we're actually ambassadors for our, or a country of origin or ethnicity, like I'm Indian and my wife's Filipino. And there's not many Indians and Filipinos who travel long term like we do. So people are actually quite surprised. Oh, you're, you're Indian and tell us your story. And then my wife's Filipino. So yeah, it definitely is a great way of being ambassadors for our own countries, our own ethnicities.
1: Yeah. But on, on that note as well, I also had an experience in Nepal where I had some unwanted attention from a waiter. And I was... in England for example I would challenge people with it with my eye contact Um, but in Nepal it didn't mean that so I was challenging him with my eye contact to say I'm not interested but he took it as a different sign so things like that are really important when you're alone I think because safety is such a, a big issue and it's such a big concern I've seen in my group for people who are traveling places
0: So Lisa, uh, on your website, you actually have a whole bunch of different products that you actually uh, have created. And I mean, obviously, that's a great way to find your travels, but also to help support your readers and your community. Uh, you have, uh, you know, uh, the ebook, book uh, FEMA Guide to Travel Solo, the Survival Kit, Budget Travel Planner, Last-Minute Checklist, Itinerary Organizer, uh, Distance Reiki, more. Uh, So why didn't you walk us through some of these products you created? Uh, I know uh, from personal experience how hard it is just to create one product. So the fact that you created all of these different products to support your community is amazing. So tell us about those products.
1: Okay. I created A Female Guide to Solo Travel, which is about 80,000 words. It's a massive, comprehensive book. I created that in 2015, and that was my first product because I wanted to – step-by-step show people how to travel solo so the first section is the fear overcoming the roadblocks, overcoming other people projecting their fear of places onto you Um, any excuses that you might have so it's all getting you know getting your mind prepared to go solo traveling and then the second portion is how to plan a trip because a lot of people don't actually know how to plan a trip um, my background's in the travel industry, so I speak a bit about airline tickets and accommodation and a bit more insider information, but it, I, sometimes it's not as easy as just booking a ticket. There's obviously vaccinations and everything else that you might need in insurance that people might miss, so I wanted to include it all in a book. And then I also wanted to talk about when you return home, because I couldn't see any books at the time that spoke about the reverse travel shock it's great when you go away and you can have the most amazing adventures and I do believe solo travel is a personal journey as well you can it can give you clarity on a lot of things that are going on and then you return home and then it's completely different even though it's still the same so I wanted to talk about how you might feel afterwards so I think the book's a bit different because it's it's more emotive and factual as well. I'm going to be bringing out a second version at the end of this year before people start traveling again in January. And then from then, I realized that on my solo trips, I still get homesick. Even though I've been to 70 countries by myself, I still experience those moments of homesickness and those feelings of what am I doing? So I created a solo travel survival kit, or solo girls survival kit, which is a clickable workbook which you can look through if you ever feel a bit down or a bit homesick, and you basically personalize it for, for how you'd want it. And I've used it myself, and it really helped. So I thought, oh, why don't I just create this for everybody else? And so it's basically everything that I've used on my solo travels. I just thought, well, why not produce it for other people? And since then, actually, this year, I've actually bought out three guidebooks. So I've got a guidebook on, um, Croatia, Switzerland, and Norway, and I'm just writing four more as well. And they're a bit different to the traditional guidebooks. They cover different types of solos. So I realized that not everybody likes doing the same thing. So I've got adventure solo, budget solo, which a lot of people like traveling on a budget, um, party solo, adrenaline solo. So each destination has got um, sections for what type of solo that you are. So rather than look through lots of information and just be overwhelmed by a traditional guidebook, this kind of, you can look through it and go, okay, I want to do that, so I'll stay here for a few days. And it also tells you what to do in the evenings alone, where to meet people, how you're perceived in that particular place. So I wanted to tailor it, especially for women travelling alone. So that is my current project, and I'd love to just bring out a whole range of guidebooks around the world.
0: Awesome. Uh, you know, definitely some great resources to help out your fellow solo female traveler. Um, so I'm curious to know about your vision going forward. Uh, you know, you we mentioned you're from the UK, you've traveled to over 100 countries, now you're actually in Barcelona temporarily. Uh, tell us about the future in terms of the next few months, next few years and beyond.
1: Okay. Well, I work really closely with um, Tourism Concern and The Code. We try to prevent children from being sexually trafficked and to bring awareness when people are traveling. So as my community is growing, I want to create a bigger community of conscious travelers and of people who can highlight things that are unethical in the world. So I guess my big vision is to eventually create a Girl About the Globe Foundation and help local projects all over the world. So currently, I'm just working on the guidebooks, trying to create bring awareness to people as they travel and then eventually do a girl about the globe foundation i've got i've got massive vision for the site i want to branch off into lots of different types of solo as well there's so much potential but there's only so much you can do when you're by yourself (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a balancing act when you're traveling, when you're making income more online, then you're trying to manage your blog and uh, not go crazy because it's easy to drop <laughs> some of those balls. So good on you, good on you for, uh, for uh, managing to do so many things and inspiring others uh, to travel just like you. Uh, so uh, Lisa, if people wanted to connect with you, uh, read your blog, follow you on social media, maybe buy some of the products that we mentioned, how can they do that? Just
1: through girlabouttheglobe.com. And then you can also join the Facebook group as well, which is free, and they are so helpful in the Facebook group. So the Facebook group is called Girls Girls About the Globe. Um, but just find me on the blog, and it's got all of my social media buttons as well.
0: All right, nice and easy. It's uh, girlabouttheglobe.com. I'll actually have the link below, and make sure you uh, join the Facebook group as well. If you are a girl about the globe, definitely connect with other girls about the globe and get inspired. Uh, you know, uh, if uh, Lisa can actually leave the UK and travel to over 100 countries. Uh, there's nothing stopping you. Uh, you know, uh, she's t- talked about some of the ways she's overcome her fears, about how she's making income online, and uh, you know, uh, she's definitely very inspiring, uh, also giving back and making a difference on her travels, uh, building a community too. Uh, so you know, make sure you connect with Lisa. Once again, it's girlabouttheglobe.com and her Facebook group, etc. Make sure you buy some of her products. And uh, thanks for tuning in, and thanks, Lisa, for your time today.
1: Thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks, Ricky.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for being on the show. And thanks, everyone, for tuning into to this episode of Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the videocast where we teach you how to make money while
1: traveling the world.